Welcome to The Art of Hunting, a podcast that explores the world of wildlife art through the eyes of one of the industry's most talented creators, Ryan Kirby. So whether you're a fellow artist, designer, hunter, or simply someone who appreciates the beauty of the natural world, join us on The Art of Hunting with Ryan Kirby and discover the passion and dedication that drives him. Episode 2. <laughs> Yeah, before we started recording, we were talking about wedding stuff. Mad Dog's about to get married, so. <laughs> Ryan keeps asking me every day, I've got my wedding planned yet. <laughs> it's been like a week and you haven't planned it yet. I don't know what your problem is. I have a year and a half. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Zach and I could plan a wedding in a week. Oh, go ahead, please. Do please. Be done. <laughs> Decked out in all Ryan Kirby gear and yep. art and, all right. Barbecue. Ooh, yeah. Yep. Well, speaking of food, our question for Ryan is, what is his favorite wild game to eat? Favorite wild game to eat is fried turkey nuggets. Um, Nuggets? Mainly (laughs) because usually those things are like literally cut right off the breast and into the fryer that day or that night. So you usually usually had a good day when you're eating fried fried turkey nuggets from my experience. It's, uh, you know, you had luck that morning and you're either eating it for lunch or dinner and you're hanging out in camp and all the boys are there. So it's a good time. You've said that turkey's your favorite to hunt. Do you, do you keep your turkey meat? Yeah. You do? Yeah. I, I have, I've seen, um, and I am a terrible chef and I have to admit <laughs> that I, I suck. I'm not good. Our, our youngest boy or our, our boy, Rhett. Um, he's big into processing it. Like he wants to catch fish and clean them. He wants to shoot a deer and literally help me clean it, grind it, everything. And I need to be better for him at like (laughs) becoming a more wild game chef. Like we just grind our deer, like we, even the loins and stuff. And I know that is like sacrilege for, (laughs) for a lot of people. Um, so I need to be better. I need to learn that. But I've seen a lot of people that are cooking the whole turkey now too, like the legs and all. Um, when I was working at the Turkey Federation, that's when it was big to fry the entire thing in the fryer. But I've even seen, um, you know, there's a lot of chefs out there that hunt and cook wild game. And I see them doing some cool stuff with the whole bird. Um, and I think I heard Dave Penhody talk about, uh, cooking the legs now too. So I have to tell a story about Rhett and Kim at church (laughs) because, Before I started working here, Kim came up to me and was, we go to, me and Ryan go to church together. And Kim was like, hey, how's it going? I was like, good. And Ryan was on his deer hunt at the time. And she's telling me about Rhett loving to grind the meat and fix the meat and dress the deer and all this, or if that's the right term, and doing all this stuff. And I was like, how old is he? And she's like, <laughs> he's only six. And I was, me and Cole, my fiance, are standing there, and Cole's like, huge meat eater fan, bought the Steve yeah. Ranella cookbook, trying to learn how to do all that too. And he goes, he's six years old. Yeah. I said, yes. I was like, wow. He goes, I need lessons from Rhett. I was like, yeah. Loves it. <laughs> yeah. To the point, we'll, I've taken him in the stand, and, you know, I, when, um, when I take Rhett hunt, I try to make it fun. I want him to. Have, I, I. I. And it's hard to not be the dad that's like, sit still and shut up. Don't move for the next two hours. You know, it's hard to not be that. I've always said I'm going to keep it fun, and I try to. So, <clears throat> we've got a buddy stand here at the end of the property, 
and then we shot a couple does this year and and he he loves it and it's cool to see him get into it and he was even this year um he i told him we'd shoot one and we'd we'd process it together uh, which in my terms is grind it up and i need <laughs> again i need to be better but he'd look at me he's like dad can we shoot that dough and cut it up and eat it oh and it was God. like what you little psycho like tone it down man like what what's wrong with you but and he he's not crazy like that but that's how he thinks like dad i want to shoot that thing and i want to i want to i want to cut it up and grind it up and eat it and he's and we do a lot of chili tacos but we've started doing taco tuesday and that's his thing is he oh. and it, it, it's it's amazing to see because um we weren't like that growing up, I and mean, we didn't we didn't eat a lot of wild game. We gave away most of our deer. Um, you know, we had a lot of beef, a lot of pork, chicken, stuff like that. We just didn't, for some reason, we didn't process deer, and I, I don't know why. Um, but it's cool to see that in him, and I really do want the kids to like understand where food comes from. And you know, we don't have cows out the back door like I did growing up, so he he needs to see that. Um, but we have a garden out here and, you know, we're shooting deer and turkeys and he's all about it. Like the kid could literally be a chef one day. He, he cooks his own eggs every morning. He's six, lights the <laughs> propane stove. We've walked through how to do all that and not start a fire, but he'll scramble his own eggs every day. He likes to, he does all that stuff. He didn't oh, get it from me, but it's cool to it. see. Um, That's his own art. It's going to be mm-hmm. food. Heck yeah. Well, culinary artist. All right, so this episode, we are defining the brand of the art of hunting. Mm-hmm. So, how do you incorporate hunting into your art? Explain what you mean when you say hunting is an art. Good question. Um, well, you know, like, like anything in life, um, any kind of a craft, any kind of a sport, any kind of... I make a lot of sports analogies, so we'll, we'll just go with sports, but... There's a, there's a science and an art to all of it. <clears throat> um, you know, Michael Jordan, my favorite basketball player. I grew up in Illinois in the in the you know 80s and 90s. The 90s Bulls were all time. Mm-hmm. You know, the goat, all that kind of stuff. Um, but Michael Jordan had to learn how to do a left-handed layup before he could do any of the MJ stuff. He had to learn proper shooting form and how to hit a free throw before he could hit fadeaways. <clears throat> and that it's no different than anything you want to do, whether it's skiing, you know, fishing, hunting, all that. There's a science to the rut, to deer behavior, to biology, to, uh, you know, the sun, the moon, sunset, sunrise. There's a science to all that. And there's also an art. There's also something beautiful about it. There's also a point where once you understand the basics, your own personal, um, personal touch, personal flair, personal style can, can go into that. Whether it's mobile hunting or setting up a, 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 a property, which I personally love to do. Um, so hunting in, in and of itself is an art. And I, I've really, as I get older, I appreciate the, the finer points of all that. I appreciate, uh, you know, the, the perfect flight of an arrow, the, the, the sound of a turkey goblin, the, all that kind of stuff. All the, all the, all the things that you, you take for granted when you're younger, but you learn to appreciate more. Um, time with your buddies, time with your family, 
all those things that, that you appreciate as you get older. And that's really the art of hunting. You know, hunting, hunting is an art. And I feel like as an artist, what I have tried to do and what the opportunity is for me with my background and my skills is to show the fine art of hunting, um, to physically use art to um, enhance the atmosphere of the hunt camp, to educate people, to entertain people, um, to, to show hunting in a more artful way. And one of the, you know, I, I, I studied graphic design in college and spent years as a designer. And one thing that we've gotten the best uh, feedback on through all my social media posts, everything I've done is when I combine um, facts and figures and more the biology side with art in a cool way that entertains and informs people. It, that, that, if I could summarize everything that we've done really well here, that's it to take, you know, like our anatomy and physiology print, the shot placement. Um, the, the reel that I produced off of that art is, is some of the highest performing stuff that we do on social media because it takes, it's not just a straight biological PDF of the latest deer survey, and it's not uh, a fine art painting of a deer, but it's, it's, it's artful illustration with some style and my own personal touch to it that combines accurate information and biology and combining art and hunting in that way, I feel like is something that we do very well here. And I feel like it contributes the most to the hunting community and to the environment of hunt camp. And I feel like that is my biggest opportunity and my biggest skill set and the thing that I love the most and people appreciate the most. So that's a big win. How would you say the art of hunting has impacted your life? Early childhood, as a father, as a business? Um, well, I feel like hunting wasn't much of an art when I was growing up. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we, we could do a whole podcast on stories about that, but, um, you know, I grew up, um, in the early nineties is when I really started hunting myself. I was born in 82. So I think I took my first shotgun to the field carrying a gun. Obviously I tagged along since I was old enough to walk, but I think I was 12 when I carried a fir my gun for the first time and shot my first deer. And, you know, back in those days, it was kind of, that's just what farmers did. You know, they gun hunted. Um, we would, you'd go sit, is what they called it. You'd take a white five-gallon bucket and go sit on it on a on a fence row or in a hedge tree with a permanent stand built into it. Um, we did man deer drives back in the day, <clears throat> and I, I loved every second of it. It was a really good community and culture to grow up up in as a young boy. Um, and and you, as a young boy, you you learn from a lot of other men, and so you're 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 kind of thrown into that whole culture and community, but it wasn't much of an art, you know, I mean, it was just what we did. And, and I didn't know any different. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about in the social media age, um, you know, what you, I can find out what kids in India do right now and Pakistan and all over the world if we want to. Um, but when you're young, you only know what's around you, what's in your immediate family, what's in your community. And that's what we knew, you know, that's what we did. 
but it wasn't as much of an art as more of a recreation. And it wasn't until I really started bow hunting that I left everything else behind. Um, my dad went to D and E archery. It was a guy's garage, a guy named Dennis in Carthage, Illinois, and got us our first bows. And my dad and I bought a bow at the same time. So he learned to bow hunt right beside me, which is different because, you know, a lot of people, father teaches the son, do this, do that, hold it. And we didn't know what we were doing. Mm -hmm. We literally bought a bow at the same time. My brother was three years younger and wasn't old enough to, to bow hunt then. So it was just me and my dad at first. And you're just kind of learning back then. And I remember when I first got that bow, I would have gotten that about the time I was 12 too. I was all in on bow hunting and I didn't really look back. Um, <laughs> there was a Dennis taught us to shoot instinctive first because, you know, again, we talk about Midwest common sense. He was like, if a kid has a knack to shoot instinctive, I'm not going to load him up with releases and sights and all this other crap. So we started shooting just a single pin sight. Um, you know, my bow was 35, 40 pounds, something like that. And we shot a tab finger release and that's all we shot. Uh, the big fat, you know, Easton aluminum arrows that are about that big around. And he gave us a VHS tape of a guy. I'll never forget doing this, but he gave us a VHS tape of a guy that was like the legendary bow hunter at the time. And I can't even remember his name, but he shot completely instinctive. And he was like, you know, take this VHS home tape home and listen to, you know, what he does and follow him. And this guy was like shooting deer on the run with a recurve. And they were, they were putting balloons in tires and rolling them downhill. And he was popping balloons. And I, I immediately in my head, you know, you're 12 year old boy. You're like, I'm that guy. Mm -hmm. Like I'm the next iteration of that guy. Mm -hmm. So I remember I go out, I go, uh, back behind the house on the farm and dad had just cut some uh some trees down in this area we were clearing out it was like in the corner of an old pasture or something but there were three stumps and this guy in his video he would walk through the woods and he would just pick random things he wasn't shooting 3d he would like pick that leaf on that hillside and shoot it and shoot this and shoot that well there's a few things i didn't know when i started first off that guy was shooting into hard soft banks so he was shooting into a leaf in a in a a hillside. Um, he also had, you know, his own homemade arrows and he probably brought 50 of them to the woods. And what I didn't understand the difference between aluminum arrows with an insert and shooting out of a compound versus that and a recurve. So, you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. My dad bought me three arrows and I proceeded to stand in one place and shoot all three of them into a freshly cut hardwood stump. And then I went out and I pulled them out and the insert and the point stuck in the stump and the arrow came out and the insert pulled out of them. Oh, no. So we had just got our brand new bow set ups and I went home and within 15 minutes I had ruined all three of my arrows. <laughs> and I don't, I'll never forget doing that. But anyway, that was my first introduction into sort of the art of bow hunting. Um, is you know I was an athlete in in high school and the idea of you know physically drawing that bow, learning form, learning release really appealed to me, um, and I just fell in love with bow hunting then. 
um, I used to consume um, all kinds of VHS tapes, you know, from Night and Hail to the, to, you know, the Drury's early stuff to, I, I watched Babe Winkleman's presentation on fishing, you know, I was into that kind of stuff. So the, the, the art form, figuring out the basics and then figuring out how I can apply that in my own unique way, my own style, my own uh, farm, the properties that I hunt has always been a big part of my life. And now in a roundabout way, I'm using my career and my ability to bring the art back to hunting. Nice. So explain what is wildly original, the art of hunting and Ryan Kirby art as a brand. Well, you know, again, I think we have the unique opportunity to bring art to the hunting world. And I feel like, um, you know, artists have been telling the story of the hunt for, for since the dawn of time. Okay. Um, you know, and, and I don't think it, I, I think that as, as a, a, a species, humans have been fascinated by wild things, wild places, wild animals. You know, you look at some of the earliest cave art and it's all wildlife. You know, that, that has been a theme in humanity since, since the beginning. And wildlife art as an art form has stayed strong. The, the, the wildlife art market has always stayed strong, kind of like the cowboy art market. It's been a, it's been a driving force of a lot of things, um, throughout the settlement of the United States and throughout just humanity in general. I, uh, I read a book a while back on, um, on the, the role of art and hunting in the, the early, can't remember what century, it'd be the 18th century, <clears throat> the early settlement of, of America. And a lot of the, a lot of the artists at the time, this was back before modern photography was where it was at today. And a lot of big, uh, big patrons, big donors, museums, they would hire artists and fund their trips out to the wilderness to paint animals and bring those back to the city to show people what they look like. This is what an elk looks like because People in New York City, they couldn't pull it up, up a picture of an elk on their phone. And so they hired artists to bring art to to people in the cities. Um, another thing that they did is they used artists. They Back when the railroad systems first got started, they would hire artists to go paint some of the remote wilderness locations that the railroad companies would hire them as advertising. Because they, you have a beautiful painting of the Canadian Rockies, and they would show that to people in New York, and the railroads were shipping people out there. So art played a big role into drawing people to the West, to drawing them out of, of the cities. And really, in a way, it helped play a part in the, the settlement of America. Um, I remember in in a in a very small way. I don't want to over dramatize that. Like it, art wasn't the reason people left the city, but it was one tool that people used to move move people west. And one of the uh, one of the cool stories that I had had heard one time is that um, this guy was talking about city boys and how they were getting soft and they were getting soft hands and they were getting, getting weak. And he wanted to use art to get them out to the wilderness to have them pursue a more rugged life. And this was in like 1860 or something, <laughs> you know, I mean, you hear the old timers today talk about like, 
oh, the generation is soft now when I was a kid, yada. Well, the same thing was going on in the 1800s. Like, people <laughs> thought that the guys in the city were soft, you know. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But art has always been uh, – art has always enriched and helped tell the story of, of hunting and wilderness and wild places. Um, and, and even though I have modern tools, I'm doing the same thing. Even though I may be on a Mac with a Wi-Fi connection, um, I have modern lights. I'm still doing the same thing that we've done since the dawn of time as 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 a species. Um, this is off script, but a question I thought of. I like uh, off script. <laughs> so you're, I think what's interesting is your logo is like it's a buffalo, and sort of, kind of. It yeah. looks like to me, it yeah, looks it like does. buffalo. It does. Where did that come from? Because you don't really have any like. Buffalo mm-hmm. is that a is that a like well, sign of something or yeah um so when 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 I was first working with Michael and we were kind of talking about um we were kicking around ideas for how I could like rebrand my art business and I remember we had just moved to App State and I went and I spent three days in the ASU library the App State library. And I mean, I was a graphic designer. I've never spent three days in the library my whole life. <laughs> you know, and here I am like a decade out of college and I'm in the library, you know. And uh, <clears throat> I went to the ASU library and I started looking at um, Native American cave art. Um, I started looking at sort of the, the, the history of art um, in rural culture. Uh, and, and one thing that you noticed is that it was very rarely a direct representation of an animal, you know? So it might've been like a moose with, with elk antlers, mm-hmm. a moose body, or like a cow with elk antlers or a deer with horns. Like it was, I don't know if they, I don't know if they just weren't very good artists <laughs> <laughs> or that was a stylistic thing that they employed, but very rarely is is the and, and and some of the animals might have been different back they might have looked different back in the day but very rarely could you tell that's an elk that's a white-tailed deer that's a mule deer on a cave it was all kind of kind of like if you let your kids go on mm-hmm. on a on a cave wall you know is what they look like and so i knew that i wanted to do sort of a mark like that and i started looking and i started to realize that Again, it is sort of a buffalo, but it's more of an abstracted bison-y beast type yeah. thing. And there's a lot of uh, sort of abstract markings in there. And I actually painted the logo. Mm-hmm. So the way it started is I just had, I had a, uh, uh, I think it was a piece of gator board, uh, you know, 48, uh, like the size of, of a, a piece of sheet, uh, uh, plywood. And like a big sheet of 48 inch long gator board. And I just started painting some of these. I wasn't going from any sort of a reference. It was more abstract. I'm just going to go with it and see what happens. And Mm -hmm. I painted probably 20, 25 of them. And I remember painting that one and I was like, that's it. Mm -hmm. That's the one I want to go with. And so it wasn't, I wasn't looking at any particular animal per se, but I would just, I spent three days sort of like absorbing all these shapes and forms and marks and ideas in my head. And then I just went with it. Mm -hmm. Um, but one thing that I did specifically include is in a lot of that 
cave art, they included like a red slash on the side. Mm-hmm. And and the uh, archaeologists, I guess, of what they'd be is they came to know that as the animal was being hunted. Mm-hmm. So you might have a brown animal with a red slash right there. And that it symbolized one of two things. Either that was an arrow or a spear mm-hmm. going into the vitals, or that was blood coming out of the animal. But they could tell that when they look, went in and saw that art, that that, was, that animal was being actively hunted. That mm-hmm. Hunting was a role in this society's culture. It wasn't just... Oh, we like the elk over here. To know we're shooting them and we're eating them and we're wearing their fur. Mm-hmm. So, I wanted to include that, and it's also a paintbrush. So the marking on the um, on the side on the side is a paintbrush, and um, I actually have it framed out there in the in the gallery. Mm-hmm. But what I did from there is I took a high res photo and and pulled that up in Illustrator and created vector art out of it, and that became a logo. Never knew that. Was yep. Curious. And and again, it's more of a symbol. Uh, uh, it's more of a symbol of art telling the story of hunting mm-hmm. than it is anything else. Nice. Um, so you've worked with some bigger companies in the outdoor industry, like Winchester, Turkey Federation, mm-hmm. Bass Pro. How are you seeing small businesses in the outdoor space utilize their brand and their audience? Well, it's not that all that much different from, um, you know, small musicians, small artists, um, you know, technology, there's always a, there's always a good and a bad to everything. There's always a, a pro and a con. And I remember, um, I remember watching Garth Brooks's documentary and he's, he's always talking about that. Like there's always, a, there's always a, a light and a darkness and everything. There's always a good and there's a bad and everything. And we hear a lot about the bad of technology, but there's a lot of good too. And what I have seen is that, um, technology, social media, the internet, it has, it has opened the doors to industries for individuals. So, you know, back in the day, there were, there always seemed like there was a gatekeeper to an industry. So for an artist, that would be a gallery owner. And unless you got in with the gallery, you were, you couldn't get anywhere. Unless you got into the show, unless you got in, unless you got through that gatekeeper, unless you got the publisher, the gallery, the agent, whatever, there was no way you were going to make it. You, you, you had to rely and depend on them. And the same thing was true with the music industry. You had to have an agent, you had to have a record label, you had to have this, you had to have that. Um, and that's all gone. That's out the window. Like, how many people, you know, we, we have celebrities that started on YouTube and TikTok and, 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 you know, Instagram, and you can start creating right now and put yourself out there and, and immediately start gaining following and, 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 um, a brand and, and it's no different with, with any for-profit company. Um, you know, if, if I had to, you know, predict anything with not predict, but, um, in the outdoor brand space, I would assume that would have been retailers, you know, the Bass Pros, the Cabela's, the Walmarts, you had to get in with them. And now so much is direct consumer. And these people are, are just, they're moving quick. They're speaking from an authentic voice and they're doing direct consumer. Um, not that the bigger brands don't do that at the same time, but, 
the gatekeeper of getting into a retailer and getting shelf space and all that that used to be gobbled up by bigger brands, it's kind of on an even playing field now. Now, you still have to do have the retail space and the shelf space and all that, but um, you can start and you can go um, from day one. And it's the same reason, like, I've, I've, I haven't worked with any galleries. Um, Seaweed's the only show I've done, which we might, we might end up taking on some more shows and trying to go some more places. But, um, you know, we, I've kind of, I've been very hands-on in the business and how we've grown and what we've done. And I've made a lot of the decisions myself. I haven't quite fit in that mold of letting someone else dictate what my whole career is going to look like. And that's kind of how we've done it. You know, we've, we've, we've launched our own products. We sell them ourselves. We, we get them printed here, made here in the U S stored here in the U S shipped here in the U S and we've kind of done it our own way. And I'm, I'm proud of that. Would you say it's evolving your business and brand? We, yeah, we have to evolve. I mean, it, it, it's the nature of anything. Um, you know, I've told people, I, I used to, um, I've spoken in the past at, at some, um, app state, um, entrepreneur summits and presentations and stuff. And I tell people all the time, like there, there is not one day that I show up to work and do the same thing I did the day before every single day. There's some new challenge we've never faced that we've got to face. There's something else we've got to do that we've never done before. And even if we get through all that business stuff as an artist, I have to sit down and push myself to do things that I didn't do the day before. Um, and so my whole, my whole life and career lives on the edge of what I'm comfortable doing. Like I constantly have to be on the edge of, I know all this and I'm really good here past this point, I could completely fail. And I have to live on that edge every single day to try to do new things, to try to take on new things and produce new things. And it's pretty scary. A lot of times, you know, it's, it's very vulnerable. You, you are not, um, in a place where you can sit back and rest on your laurels or, we've always done it this way the past five years. So we're going to continue to do it this way. You just can't do it. And, and I kind of feel like the whole world is that way. All these brands are that way now. Like if you're not, if you're not growing, you're dying. It is a kind of a cliche way to say it, but yeah, we have to continue to evolve and innovate and stay on the cutting edge. And as the, as an entrepreneur, I have to live on the edge of my comfort zone every single day. Sorry, listeners of Trigger scratching the door, trying Trigger. to find his father. <laughs> I shouldn't know his name, that'll make sometime. it worse. Trigger is our shop dog, one of our shop dogs. Zach will walk out of the room and Trigger freaks out and scratches the door. So sorry if you heard that. <laughs> uh, okay, where were we? All right. Um, do you have a certain product that you currently have that you think connects the art of hunting? very well or connects both the things i think what well, we actually have an art of hunting bundle um i think and that question was not on a tee by madison no, by the way it was like not. i didn't know that was coming <laughs> it's not a hey ask me this so yeah. i can talk about this product <laughs> um i i think that does it well i i think um 
I think the growth, the growth and maturity of the whitetail buck has been our number one seller for four years. Um, that piece really does it well. Um, I feel like we're, we're about to launch some, some new products, some new limited run stuff that, that could do that well. But yeah, overall, I honestly feel like some of the stuff I've created for social media does a better job of that, of showing the art and hunting and sort of an infographic fast paced style. And all of those are recreated from art that we already have in, in the prints. So I'm, I'm pulling parts and pieces out of those and, and recreating those, um, for social media into reels and short videos and stuff like that. So I think from a, from a general consumer viewing standpoint, some of that probably does it better than, better than anything. Um, but I'd say our, our growth and maturity of the whitetail buck and the anatomy and physiology of the whitetail buck are the ones that combine that the best. Um, again, we're taking what could be really boring biological facts and figures um, and and trying to make that cool in, into a concise piece that people can display on their wall and, and get enjoyment out of. Um, and we have people... Every single day I have people reach out, and you feel these a lot too, where people will, will put the growth and maturity of the whitetail buck on their wall, and they literally say it is the conversation piece. Every time my husband's buddies come over, they all suck in around that piece. It's, it's the one that draws people in because it's got enough art to it, and it's got enough hunting content to it in there that the dudes all stand around and <laughs> talk about it. I think the anatomy one too. Yeah. Definitely for shot placement. Definitely. Yeah, the anatomy print, you know, that is that is way more uh bow hunter archery heavy simply because of the nature of archery equipment versus a gun. Um the growth and maturity print can can apply to everybody. Um and the other thing, you know, people ask me about the success of that print. We've also hit part of it is we've hit the golden age of deer hunting. And it's a big deal to manage and grow mature deer. When I was a kid, when I was growing up, that wasn't even a thing. So timing plays a part in success. And where we're at in the world plays a part in it. And I feel like people want to grow and learn about deer, hunt mature deer, and then make ethical shots and do the right thing by the animal. And I think that there, we're in a unique window in the evolution of deer hunting where both of those things are a big deal. And um, the other thing is I, I feel like in the, in the 90s it was all who can kill the biggest deer to get on the cover of North American Whitetail. And we, and we, we as an industry, we sold out to that. It's what made – Pike County and the Golden Triangle in Illinois is so popular and high demand is everybody was trying to get kill the biggest deer and be on the cover of a magazine. And that fueled the industry. And now we've kind of seen, I don't know if we've matured and realized that's not the, that's not the end all be all that it's more the experience. It's more the journey. It's more the process that we're interested in. But I see a lot of people in our industry that are they're going back to our roots and starting to think long and hard about the sport of hunting and being like, is that really what it's all about? Is that really why we like it? Is that really why we do it? 
Um, and I think people are starting to realize that, again, the art of hunting, the, the process of hunting, the journey of hunting, the camaraderie of hunting, there's a, there's a bigger story to tell than just, I killed a big deer and I was on a magazine cover. And I think, I think as an industry, I think as a, a new generations come into hunting, I think they're more focused on that than anything else. I think if you kill a 130-inch deer and have a great story about it and do it the right way, it, it, does, it says way more and people engage in that way more than I killed a 200-inch deer in a high fence. And I, I just I think as I think as a and nothing gets high fences I don't care but as a as a culture as a as a, a community hunters have more respect for that better story and it's not always about the antler size now. Nice. Well, that was my last question. That's it. Do you want to shout out the sketch drop? <laughs> <laughs> no, we we have you know one of the things that that I have done. Um, for years, I have sketched a lot, and I have uh, a lot of times I would put the kids to bed and pour myself a margarita and sit down <laughs> at night at 9 o'clock at night, and it's the first time I've had a chance to myself all day. And a lot of times I would I would sketch. I'd take something that, that I wanted to draw simply for no intentions of trying to sell it there's no purpose there's no point other than me sitting down and wanting to get better as an artist and a lot of ways that paid out I'd sketch running does frogs you know turkeys and I wasn't sketching like big deer to try to sell it and get attention I wanted to sit down and 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 learn and grow as an artist and be able to appreciate like the form of that running doe and sketch it and I've never sold them. We get asked all the time. Um, people that have bought our our paper prints see the triangle packaging that they're in. We use them in there. We use them in a lot of different ways. But I've never sold the sketches until Seawee of this year. And part of what we're doing to innovate and grow, we're trying to round out our product lineup online. And so we're going to be printing some field notes sketches and it'll be a limited run when they're done, they're done. And we're going to do some periodic sketch drops throughout the year. So you'll get a heads up Turkey sketch drop drops today. I think April 3rd is when we're going to do it. First one. First one's April 3rd. We'll probably do some dogs, some labs and some pointers in the, in the summertime. We'll do the same thing with whitetail and it's going to be a sketch drop happens today. Get them while they're hot because when they're gone, they're gone. And then I'm going to be continuing to produce new work to, to fuel that. So it's going to be new. It's going to be something different all the time. And I think people are going to en- enjoy it. I think they'll appreciate There's it. There's one right behind you if you want to show it. Oh, that has this a, is one of, the, one of the ones that we did for Seaweed. It's got the um, field notes on it. It's got the field notes on it. I stamp and sign each one. Um, this is a framed one we did for Seaweed. But they'll be similar to that where... We will print them in a format. We're, we're looking at paper samples right now uh, to make sure we can get a really high-quality paper that's archival, looks good, feels good, and will frame well. And we're going to print them in a size that people can literally go to uh, an art supply the store, Michael's Hobby, Michael's Hobby Lobby online, and find a cool frame for it in a standard size. So that way... You know, if you go to a custom frame shop, it's crazy high. I mean, you're talking 
to double mat and frame something to $250, And we want to get something that people can, they could buy three frames, stock frames somewhere, pop them in, display them together, and they'll look good. So that's uh, that's our goal there. So It'll be fun. April 3rd. April 3rd. You better, you better come get them while they're hot. Yep. <laughs> this has been fun. That was the second episode. Third Number episode. Uh, Ryan's going hunting next week or this week. Uh, I am leaving for Florida on Friday. Yeah. So but if you watch episode one, I got bad news about my truck that is in the <laughs> shop and is not going to be ready. So I'm either going to be renting a uh, little Kia something and putting my putting my my 870 in the back and going, or we're potentially even going to bring the whole family along for the ride down, not the hunting trip. Yeah. But I'm meeting the boys in Florida. So episode three is going to be his uh how his turkey hunt went how that's gonna inspire some turkey art that's right. this coming spring he'll come back from Florida, so catch us back appreciate you guys being here mm-hmm.